Spring is in the air. You know what that means? You got to set your clocks forward this weekend. The Boston Marathon is only 40 days away, and it's going to start getting hotter. You need to stay hydrated the proper way. And since you're a listener to this podcast, that means fueling with element. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run to try it yourself. Link in the show notes, get a free sample pack, six different flavors of electrolytes without the junk, no sugar, no dodgy ingredients, no gluten. It's vegan friendly, paleo keto friendly. And guess what? Even better, it tastes great. Orange salt is my favorite. I love it. Hundreds of you love it. Try it today. Pay $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I will refund your $5. No one has ever taken me up on the refund offer. This is zero sugar hydration. If you're on the fence, you can check out in under a minute. Try it today. All right, thanks. Here's the pod. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We have another very busy weekend to recap in the world of running. Elliot Kipchoge won another marathon in Tokyo and now has three of the four fastest times ever. While Bridget Kosgai returned to the top, running 216.02 to give her two of the three fastest times ever and win the women's race in Tokyo. Stateside, Grant Fisher destroyed Galen Rupp's American record in the 10,000 meters. Mohamed got the Canadian record in the 10,000 meters. Jack Rayner got the Australian record in the 10,000 meters. And Elise Cranny almost broke Molly Huddle's American record in the 10,000 meters. So fast times to discuss out in California. On the East Coast, Emily Sisson prevailed in the Battle of the Emilies to win the US 15K championships in Jacksonville. While Nico Montañez, unheralded Nico Montañez, upsets Galen Rupp to win his first national title at the 15K. We've got the NCAA Indoor Championships on tap this weekend. We'll have boots on the ground coverage from Birmingham, Alabama. Not sure if we'll talk about that on a Thursday 15. We've been mulling maybe a post-race, post-meet podcast late Saturday night. So we'll hash things out. This is Jonathan Galt, your co-host, along with Robert and Weldon Johnson, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. How are you guys doing this fine morning? Fake news, fake news. John is a tri-host of the podcast. This is Rojo, the one you guys came to hear. In case you're not a VIP supporting club member, this is what I said on Friday's podcast. I know what's going to happen in this men's race. Why don't you go ahead and answer, ask me the question? I'll ask it myself, Jonathan Gold. Will Galen Rupp's 2644.36 American 10,000 record be broken on Sunday night? The question is absolutely, the answer is absolutely yes. I guarantee it. I am so confident in this. I was thinking. There you go, folks. There you go. There's a reason why you listen to this podcast. It's for my expertise. I'm feeling great, John, because of that. Went on a big, bold prediction. Came true. I know a broken clock is right, what, twice a day? So... Been bragging about it a lot on the internet. I'm kind of disturbed by the put up a post bragging about my my prediction, and I have 125 downvotes right now on Let's Run.com. I may be the most hated person on Let's Run, 
but at least my mother loves me. People rub it. People don't really like a big braggart. I don't know if you were raised, if you ever picked that up when you were young, but I was wondering to myself, I'm like, how long is it going to take Robert to play the clip from last week? I think it was probably like your fourth or fifth word of this podcast. So that's probably still the over. I figured you would just play it immediately or go into post-production and make it the very first words of this podcast. But I just want to talk about, we'll get to Fisher's run in a second how Robert handled this. Robert stayed up to watch the race, which I'm impressed by. You do have a fairly young son in the house, and this race finished after midnight on the East Coast. So I'm like, okay. And then I get to work doing the recap. I'm like, all right, this is great. I'll have Rojo to help me out with it, get to bed maybe you know by 2 a.m. or something. And then I, I'm in our Google Doc where we recap all the races, and I don't see any typing. It's just me. And I'm like, what is Robert doing? And then a few minutes later, I see on our YouTube channel, like an edited clip from the podcast where you made that prediction. And I'm like, of course, Robert's first instinct wasn't to help me with the race recap. It was to immediately clip this so he can brag about his amazing prediction. So Robert, congratulations on a great prediction and no thank you for the help on Saturday, Sunday night. I apologize, John. You're an amazing employee. I couldn't believe it. John texted us on Sundays. Like, I assume you guys won't be watching. And I really thought about it. I'm like, I might as well find a new job if I'm not going to watch this race. So I, I, I stayed up. I, I, I probably should have helped you, but you know, John, going up, I didn't have much to to brag about. Like Weldon, it was tough. Weldon was faster than me. He got better grades than me. It was just so to finally have a moment to shine was just something I couldn't pass up. I apologize, John. I did watch the race. But I wasn't recapping it. I'm like, Robert said he would help out. I'm like, well, good night. Good night, everybody. And I wake up and I see this video clip. And I'm like, Robert's never produced a video clip ever. I'm like, did he turn that around quickly and help John? The answer is no. Well, well, then you at least have an excuse. Like, you have an even younger child. And you just, you went to bed. It's not like you were up chopping up this video thought you're just like, it's Sunday night. I'm going to bed. I could accept that. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was clear. Yeah, I, I told you guys, I'm not watching the race. I decided to actually watch the race, but I wasn't recapping it. Yeah, I can accept that explanation. We That's don't need fine. three cooks in the kitchen all the time. So I was very happy with my decision. Well, I, hopefully but, the Let's right, Run... Let's talk about the race itself. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the Let's Run Faithful was happy with the coverage we produced. I'm glad we have Robert's prediction on the record. But yeah, it was. It, I mean, look... I, more than anyone, ripped these guys for skipping USAs. I didn't like that they did it. You know, Grant Fisher didn't run USAs. He ran this race instead. At least Cranny didn't run USAs. She ran this race instead. But these races were freaking awesome. I mean, could things have gone better in terms of an excitement level from record attempts? I know Cranny didn't get the record, but she was on her own and came really, really close. And then the Fisher-Ahmed duel, they... They smashed the records, but it was a heck of a race, the last 200 meters, the last lap. So to me, you know, as far as record attempts go, I don't think you get any more exciting than what we saw on Sunday night. I disagree. I've got to disagree with that. In terms of the actual races, yes. But in the way this was presented to the public, no. And look, I don't want to start off Debbie Downer. An American has run 12.53 and 26 33 in the last two weeks. Amazing stuff. At least Cranny almost got that American record. 
that was amazing. But, and, and we said, you know, two or three weeks ago, like, why are they doing this? Why are they running a 10? And then it kind of hit us. Wait a minute. I said, if they run the American record, it's a get out of jail card. All is forgiven. So all is forgiven. But is it too much for the Bowerman Track Club to actually have the guts to say we're going for the American record? We only ourselves, the three of us, our job in life is to follow professional track and field. This is how hard it is. Um, as we're recording the Friday 15, you find an obscure pace website called wavelight.pace or something, and you realize, wait, Robert, and well, the, the pacing light is set for 2644 and 3016. When we saw that, we realized it was an American record attempt. I know that they don't want pressure, but give me a break. To promote the sport, you've got to say, would it have killed them to say, we're going for the American record? We may not get it. It's okay. What I tell my four-year-old all, every day when he comes into school, it's okay to fail. They were afraid to say this, and it, as a result, wasn't most people didn't know to tune in to watch this because they didn't know what it was. But I don't want to be Debbie Downer and be negative. 26-33. Amazing. Almost all is forgiven. It was a phenomenal run, really exciting at the end. And you know, one of my biggest takeaways from this is just, I mean, we'll get to Grant Fish's medal potential in a minute, but last year, I thought that was a breakout season for Grant Fisher. He runs 13.02 in 27.11. He gets fifth at the Olympics. I'm like, wow, he's right below the caliber of the medalists right now. That's a terrific campaign. You know, He didn't win any U.S. titles, but really, really good. Probably top 10, top 12 guy in the world. You know, If you look at the results, yeah fifth and ninth the olympics i did not expect to see him make another jump this year and now he's run 1253 and 2633 he's the seventh fastest human ever i know super shoes it's a little misleading but it's just rare to see someone go up a level like he did in 2021 and then go up another level a year later he closed this race his last 5k in 1310 his pb at the start of March of 2021 was 1311. So it's pretty. I'm pretty impressed by how much Grant's gone up. It kind of just reminds me he's still only 24 years old. But my thinking behind that is, we've seen this before. And I do I get in trouble if I mention Shelby Houlihan here? I mean, some people, you know, she was convicted of doping, but her third year in the jury system. That's kind of what it reminded me of is. She joins Jerry out of college in 2015. First two years, 2016 and 2017, she's good. She wins a U.S. title in 17. Then 18, she's world-class. And it's similar with Grant Fisher. He joined the group after graduating in 2019. 2020 and 2021, he was good. 2021, he makes two Olympic teams, finishes fifth at the Olympics. Now 2022, he's world-class. And I think essentially with Jerry is not everyone can survive the, the big workouts, certainly a big workload but if you can stay healthy which fisher has done for the last few years and if you can respond to this really heavy the really tough workouts and training if you can survive that and you're a talent you have the natural talent of a grant fisher you're going to get some pretty incredible results i think that's what we're starting to see well just to clarify there john's not implying that fisher's on drugs i I know that's not what you meant you're just saying you're using the year three is a big one for the jury i don't agree with the assessment that not everyone can survive it as we've talked about this in another podcast, every runner that's joined the Bowerman Track Club, basically except for the 800 meter runners, has at least at one point run exceptionally well. There's no, there's never really been a flame out that was terrible. So, German Fernandez, well, I guess he ran 3:34 for them, but no, he they have an exceptional record, but it's like you know, 
can so far he's been able to stay injury free and some guys like Mohamed's been super super consistent through his whole career but yeah you're you're right about that Robert well I think it's interesting like yeah you didn't ex- you you know said and, and this I the one thing I actually did edit on the article was John had a lot of words I thought John was being it was very weird John written this recap and he was writing it like I would normally write something very emotional John's very normally very factual he was like this is what was the word you kept using? I said it was technically incorrect, John. It was um incredible. Well, it's because I didn't realize what if people who are listening to our podcast right now, what do you think the word incredible means? Like think of the definition in your head. And now I'll read to you what I if I Google it, the dictionary dot results come up. The first definition of the word incredible is impossible to believe. That is not how that word is used in our society. That if something is incredible, it's impossible to believe. The second one, second definition is difficult to believe or extraordinary. That's how I would use it. And I would also, I would say Grant Fisher was extraordinary on Sunday night. Do you disagree? He was extraordinary. I didn't like the word incredible because, I mean, I had predicted two days before that it was going to happen. So, but yes, in this, you made a good point that like he's improved, you know, and Steve on our weekly conference call, our employees like, it's so hard to improve and he's improved so much two straight years. So I get why that's surprising, you know, in the short term, but if you take a step back and think about it, who would, you know, and I'm writing about this in the week that was, will be up any minute now, but like, if you were going to say, create in the lab, who's the greatest, fastest American distance runner in history, you would create someone just like Grant Fisher in high school. He's the second American ever to win two high school cross-country titles at Foot Locker. He and Dathan Ritzenheim are the only. Plus, Fisher was very young. He's got an April birthday. So normally a, a big part of being successful in high school is being older, particularly on the male side. He was younger, and he won two of them. And he had speed. He went sub four in the mile. And and what I'm saying in the week that was is this is basically Dathan Ritzenheim with better speed and without the injury problems. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the greatest prospects in American distance running history. And he's starting to live up to that, those expectations. And it's a lot like he's delivered every stage of his career. He was delivered in high school. He won a national title in college as a sophomore in college, which doesn't happen very often for an American. And now he's got two American records. And you've got to think over the next few years, he's going to add a global medal to that. To that resume. I think he's got a, you know, Robert, you outlined it nicely in the week that was, I think. You said if he has like a 20% chance of meddling in the next three global championships, you didn't even mention 2025. We've got four global championships in the next four years. If he's running the 5K and 10K in each, I would I, I would ask you right now, is it more likely that after 2025, Grant Mesh Fisher has a global medal or that he doesn't have one? I think it's well north of 50%. And I think that's the big question is like, what are the expectations moving forward for Fisher? I mean, when we were talking the other day, John, you said it'd be a failure if he didn't meddle. Wait, wait, this, all right, this is taken out of context. I want to defend myself because what happens here is Robert will ask a question on just a regular phone call we're having for work. And you're saying, you know, should he meddle or whatever? And I'm like, is it a failure if he meddles? I'm like, if he doesn't meddle, I think to myself, my immediate reaction, I'm just like, yes, that's the goal now. If he doesn't achieve the goal, it's a failure. And then I take a second to collect my thoughts. I'm like, wait a minute. No, there are other good guys. But Robert, 
instead of going with what I think once I've actually looked and analyzed this issue, he takes what I said on a phone call, my immediately immediate gut response, and just runs with it as if this is something I'm trying to put out in the public. He throws it out in the podcast, makes me look bad. I don't view it as a failure. What I would say is that is clearly the goal, right? He could run a very good race and finish fourth and not medal, and I think that would be fine. But his goal is going to be win a medal, right? And if you don't achieve the goal, is it a failure? I, I wouldn't say no if he runs a good race and finishes fourth, but that is the goal. Right. But I actually think a lot of people will view it as a failure, and I don't think that's fair because there's some super, super talented people in there. But what I'm trying to make in this article is, let's say his odds of a medal. I started with the 10,000. I, I haven't quite finished my 5,000 analysis. I think his, actually his odds of the medal might be better than the 5,000 than the 10,000, even though he's fifth in the Olympics than the 10,000. But I, I, you know, I, I instinctively asked John Kellogg, what do you think the odds of any medals? John's like 30%. I came up with around 20% in the 10,000, which sounds low, but if he enters just the next three worlds with each race, five and 10, with a 20% chance of meddling, he's got a 70, almost a 75% chance of meddling at least once. Now, people say, well, only once? Well, Galen Rupp only meddled once on the track. So now, could he win gold? He could, but, you know, it's just an interesting way to think about it. And if you, I forgot about the 20, 25 worlds so that would even be higher if, if you enter that but should can, we break can, down can you, you know, guys talk about all these great kenyan 5000 meter runners right now it's an extremely weak event right now the 5000 internationally like medal. he's a consistent medal work 5k paul chalimo medal last year in case you've forgotten like i i i ex he better be meddling or better be in the hunt. Like, who do you expect to beat him? I, I, and also, I'm looking back at the Olympic results last year. I'm thinking, like, oh, it's the Ethiopians, Mohamed, Cheptegei, the Ugandans. I mean, it depends on if, like, both Ugandans double up, just Jakob Ingerson double up. Then it's a competitive event. But usually you think Kenyans, Ethiopians. Well, last year, top three at the Olympics – not in the top three. I, Ethiopia, I don't know what they, I can't even remember what they did in their guys at the Olympics, but it's the 5K is pretty weak right now. Okay, well, then that's a good point. It's dependent on who runs the event at the World Championships, but you know, anyone who's being paying attention, the Kenyans haven't really been much of a factor in the 5,000 for a few years now. But if you look at the people from last year, Joshua Cheptegei, I would say, is favored over him. You would say? Yes, I would say he's the world record. Right, I'm just I'm I mentioned Robert. I said what you want me to say. The world record holder in the Olympic champion. Yes, he's favored over Grant Fisher. Really crazy. Moben Polchlimo. I'm not sure, but then you add in Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I would pick Jakob Ingebrigtsen over Fisher if he runs the 5K. Selmon Brega was not allowed to double by the Ethiopian Federation. He won the 10K. Now he might not be allowed to double again in 2022, but if he's in there, I would pick him over Grant Fisher as well. After that, I don't know if there's any slam dunks. There's Chalimo, there's Mohamed, there's Nicholas Camelli, there's Jacob Kiplimo. Those are all really good guys, but I don't, you know, I, I do think they are beatable by Fisher. There's one guy you're forgetting. He's much younger than Fisher. He's run one race this year, 726-20, almost beat Daniel Coleman's 3,000 meter world record. Yeah, Berahu Aragawi. That's I mean that's another case where 
he was the Diamond League champion last year, but he only ran the 10,000 at the Olympics. So will the Ethiopian Federation allow him to double? But yeah, I would, I would pick him ahead of Fisher at the moment as well. Correct. His odds in the 5,000, well, John, is the 10,000 first, by the way? Yes. At Worlds. His odds in the 5,000 are much better than they are in the 10,000, simply if it ends up being watered down, which is what it's been. I mean, Mohamed's got the medal, Paul Chalima's got the medal, but if Ethiopia wasn't so stupid and let people double back, they most likely would not have medals. Let's be honest about that. But that doesn't mean they're not great runners. It's just super loaded. It reminds me, young people, go ahead and Google the name Vanessa Niangaba. 1996 Olympic 5,000. Venus Niangabo, I think, is the better way to Google that. Do you think he would have beaten Haile Gabriselesi? I highly doubt it. Pun, pun, pun intended. So it's interesting. You know, he was only ninth in the 5,000, but John pointed this out to me. People forget in the 5,000, Fisher's got the sub four mile speed in high school. That's quite good. And last year in the 5,000 Olympics, he picked up a calf injury in the 10,000, wasn't totally fresh. Wasn't totally 100% for that 5,000. Now, I've done a similar analysis for the 10,000. And if you look at the Olympics last year, just a reminder, it basically came down to one lap. There was eight guys together at the bell. And when it was over, the top three were significantly better than Fisher. Samuel Bar- Solomon Borrega, 27.43. Chapter Guy, 27.43. And Kaplimo, 27.43. So, and then fourth and fifth, were Berhu Aragawi 27.46 and Grant Fisher 27.46. So to lose by two, three seconds in one lap is a lot. Now, I know Fisher has improved, but I'll tell you why I still think these guys are ahead of Fisher. Let's start with Borrega. He ran 12.43 in 2018 at age 18. Now, you know, official age of 18, without the super shoes. So... Three years younger than Fisher, and he's already run. And it doesn't look like he's resting on his worlds this year. He's already run 730, 731, and 734 this year. Chepta guy, he's the only guy in this list that's older than Fisher. Come on, he's the world record holder in the 5 and the 10. And Caplimo, I think Fisher's probably better than Caplimo at 5,000, but not at 10,000. This guy's endurance is incredible. I mean, world record holder at the half marathon. And... I've seen people on Let's Run saying, Caplimo ran 26.33 last year. Fisher's now run 26.33 and Caplimo medal, so that means Fisher's going to medal. If you're citing that 26.33 as a reason for why Fisher's going to be up there with them in the 10, I think you're making a huge mistake. Two things. One, Caplimo ran this race in bad conditions. It was like windy, right? And cold. That's number one. Number two, he wore the old spikes. And the people were asking him at the time, why aren't you wearing the spikes? He's like, they don't feel comfortable to me. And number three, he closed better than Fisher. It was 13.06 second half. It wasn't some, there was no wave light. There was no pacing. There was no Mohamed pushing him to the line. This guy just went out and rolled the 27.33 in the shitty spikes. No wave light. Wind. So 26.33. Yeah, I know Fisher's gotten better, but I don't, I, I just think those three guys, if they're all, you know, on, on, in form are better. And then you look at Aragawe again, you know, you can, if you're, if we're going to believe the Ethiopian ages, he turned 21 last week and he's run seven twenty six twenty this year. Now, if those guys, if everyone's fresh, I estimated in the 10, he's got about a 20% chance 
of meddling. What do you guys think of these odds? Chapter guy, let me ask you this, Weldon. Joshua Chapter guy, if he's in the race, what are the odds that he meddles? Because Weldon hasn't seen this pace. John's already read it. It's 100% if he's healthy. Okay. I said 90%. Kiplimo, we're talking 10,000 only. 90%. Oh, wow. Okay, Borrega? 90%. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) So you... You're saying that there's only a 20% chance that anyone else medals in this race. That's And he's giving it all to Fisher. I, 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 now, now, well, it's actually interesting. It's like, well, is kind of assuming maybe if everyone's in form and we know they're in form, I get what he's saying. I kind of just, ah, I was kind of acting like they're in form or we thought they might be in form. I put Cheptegei 90%, Caplimo 75%, Borrega 75%. So that means... Between everyone else in the field, there can only be 60% chance that they medal because it has to add up to 300. So I said, so basically, I'm like, let's just give it all to Aragawi or Fisher. How often does Grant Fisher beat Aragawi if they're at their best? And I said, I, I, I said one out of three. So that would mean Aragawi's 40% and Fisher's 20%. And that's how and I you're not giving up. any percent to anyone else in the entire world which i feel like we're going to there's probably going to be someone who runs really fast the ethiopian trials who's suddenly a contender right well correct and we don't know if people are going to be in form i, I think the, the the or even in the event they might run the five instead we don't need to get into the minutiae of like whether grant fisher's chances to medal are 20 percent or 50 percent that's the goal he needs to be competing on the world stage this was a huge run I think the big picture is, is he the new Galen Rupp? Now, I guess you could say we have had Paul Chalimo constantly at this level, but Paul's getting up there in age. Well, maybe not in today's era, but he's not going to be around forever, right? So is Grant Fisher the guy who for the next decade is going to be up there competing at the global level, chance to medal? And I think the... the, He's shown with his huge step in class that the answer hopefully is yes. This is what America needed. We shouldn't get too carried away with these times, right? 1253 is not the old 1253. 2630. I mean, he's a second a lap faster than Chris but let's shoes probably make that difference right there. But Chris Linsky wasn't much of a metal throw to 10K, so let's not get carried away with these times. All these guys these days can run under 1250, right? Like under 1250. Grant Fisher ran. 1253 on a bouncy track with, with bouncy shoes. So I'm very excited by this run. Don't get me wrong. He beat Mohamed, who's a global medalist constantly, but this is March. And with the with those conditions, Joshua Chepka would have run 25 something for 10K. No question in my mind. Do you guys agree with that? I do agree with that. It was perfect conditions. They had the wave light. They had basically zero wind. It was like 50 degrees. You could not... And they had rabbiting through 7,400 meters by Woody Kincaid, who is the US 10K champion, and just decided to pace his teammates for this thing. But what I think is the important... One of the other important takeaways here is he beat... Mohamed was the top dog in Bauman Track Club, right? For the last few years. He was the guy. He was meddling at global championships. Grant Fisher has just beaten him twice. Granted, these weren't global championships, but that to me is very is a very big step. If you're beating Mohamed, if you're better than Mohamed, 
yeah, I think he's going to be around for the 2020s and he's going to be the guy. But he's let's also remember, he's never won a U.S. title. So do I think he'll be there? Yes. Do I think he'll he'll beat Paul Chilimo at USA's this year? Probably. But he still needs to sort of start winning those races. But yeah, he was already fifth at the Olympics and he's even better than that. I think he'll be the guy for this decade. I mean, beating Mohamed's nice, right? But like Emmanuel Bohr almost beat Mohamed a couple weeks ago. So should we get too carried away? Is Mohamed peak fitness? Mo got beat pretty badly. Not badly, but like a couple weeks ago, Fisher in the 5K, the win was convincing. This one, I mean, it came down right to the wire. So you could say, oh, look, in three weeks, Mohamed made, made big strides on Fisher. So all that really matters is what happens come July. I'll say this. Thank God Fisher won that race. Coming off that final turn, I'm like, I honestly was already thinking this. I'm like, am I really going to celebrate this American record if he gets beat? Like, it's just not nearly as much fun when you lose the race. But you're not, you know, you're the best in America, but you're not even the best guy in your own team. <laughs> you know, I mean, so it's just, it's just much more satisfying. Like, you know, when Chris Zielinski runs 26.59 and wins and the crowd goes wild, is much more satisfying than if you run 26.59 and finish like seventh in the Olympic final or something. So, that was interesting. I do think Weldon's exaggerating a little bit on these shoes. I mean, I've been posting. I stayed up last night posting on these threads. People are still debating the shoes. Some people do not believe that they're responsible. He says that Weldon said everyone can run under 1250. That's not true. I don't think Paul Chalimo can do that. Paul Chalimo is not great in rabbit races. He's shown no ability to do that. So, you know, the, the thing with the shoes is someone's. I got in a debate with someone last night, and they were saying, this is just the normal progression. Times always come down. I'm like, look, if you're talking about the super, the road shoes and the spikes together, like, you know, the 5,000 records has, has stayed forever. The 10,000 records has stayed forever. Now they're all gone. Like, this is not the normal progression. But I do think that the data on the spikes is less clear than on the roads because I, I briefly looked up like the 50th best time last year in the 5K and compared it to 2016. It's only like two seconds better. So if we're saying that, that, that it's not like everything has moved up, you know, at least five, seven seconds in the 5,000 and then 10 or more in the 10,000. Well, I'm seeing 20 or more. I think that's a little high. Well, I'm not sure if people were racing as much last year as they would have in 2016 due to COVID. But all right, two final things on this men's race. Then we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. One, I couldn't help but giggle. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Grant Fisher finished this race in lane four. Remember all the hullabaloo about Paul Chilimo drifting out to lane four, forcing Fisher and Kincaid to finish in lane four at the Olympic trials. Now he's racing his teammate, Mohamed. And part of it was they were lapping guys at the end, but also Mo did drift out to lane three and Fisher ends up going lane four to pass him. So I was just like, wow, there was all this. People made some, it was like what Chilimo did was a lot more blatant. I would think would, you know, either was a foul or much closer to a foul than what Mo did. But I was just like, wow, they're finishing in the same lane. It's kind of amusing. The other thing, we were talking about the World Championship 10,000 final. This might be a be drum we have to bang for the next few months. Do you guys realize what time of day the Olympic, the World Championship 10,000 final is going to be run in Eugene, Oregon this year? So no, we do not. Like 9 a.m. or something? It That's is scheduled morning. for 1 p.m. Is that the stupidest thing you've ever heard? They're running the 10,000 meter final in the middle of the day in Eugene? I don't have a problem with that. And Europe gets to watch it. 
okay, do you remember the last year of the trials where it was like 105 degrees and they had to move the races to the early morning or late at night? Like, I just think running a 10,000 in the bright sunlight, what what is the thinking behind that? Yes, you get a final, but come on, you want to see the athletes that best? You put that thing at night. That is like the lost race you should be running in the middle of the day. What day is this, John? This is July 17th. Yeah, all right, well, then there's TV, but like, wouldn't why wouldn't you put it at like 7 p.m. or something? I mean, I guess the sun's still going to be out, but I just, like, if you said what's the worst possible time to run this race, I'd say the middle of the afternoon. So it's maybe not 1 p.m., maybe it's like 3 p.m., but I just think this is idiotic. This This thing needs to be changed. John? I'm the weather expert. I've got my dark sky app out. Is that the- <laughs> oh, God. Let me give this you thing fort- cannot tell me, possibly tell me what the weather is going to be like in Eugene on July 17th, 2022 at 1 p.m. Mark this down. Race time temperatures will be 72 degrees. <clears throat> well, if that's the case, there's not going to be a problem. But what if a heat wave? I mean, things well, may change in the next four months, Robert. Wind, 9 to 10 miles an hour. Now, it was going to be a little sunny, only about... 40% cloud cover. I mean, 72, if it's, high, if it's sunny, it's not ideal. But, I mean, look, Cheptigo, that's another thing. Cheptigo ran his world record, right, 26-11. Wasn't in the high 70s? So, remarkable. At least John's consistent. If a, if a track meet is not broadcast live, it doesn't count. And now, although you're not being consistent, because they're, they're putting this in the middle of the day so they can broadcast it live for people to actually watch it. They can broadcast the world championships at any time of day, and people are going to watch it, Robert. Like, 1 p.m. in the afternoon, I just think that broadcast a different event. Switch it out. You've got 24 events in the World Championships. Put one of them where the 10K is. Don't run the 10K in the middle of the day. I'm actually liking this. So is the whole is is, is the whole world's going to be like 12 to 2 or something, U.S. time, West Coast time? That'll be good. I'll be done early. I won't have to stay up to like 5 a.m. No, they, there's morning. That's part of the morning session. There is also an evening session that starts at 5, 10 p.m. Wait, what? Morning sessions are back? I thought we got rid of morning sessions a long time ago. No, they only did that for, for Doha. Though actually, I'm looking. There aren't many morning sessions. So day one, day two, day three, day four, and then day five, six, seven, eight, nine. There are no morning sessions. Well, actually, there is a morning. There's like maybe half. So half the days have morning sessions and half of them don't, which is an improvement. But yeah, Doha, they just had everything in the evening. I thought that was the best system. It is kind of crazy. Dark Sky will actually give you a forecast for July 17th, 2022. But looking back at last year's, I mean, heat's going to be an issue. It's 87 degrees, 2 p.m., 4 p.m. A lot of these days, 80 degrees. It's not going to be cool, so... You better be able to run in the heat, but the 10K is the one. I mean, 10K and the marathon are the events where you got to worry most about the heat. The other ones, people can survive, right? Sounds a little bit callous, but you have TV considerations. The world's been running hot conditions. Olympics, it's just sort of par for the course. Well, the multi events as well. Like last year, that was what a heptathlete had what heat stroke. That's why they ended up changing the schedule on the final day. They're out in the sun all day as well. But yeah, from running perspective, it's 10K a marathon. All right, guys. Well, that was a great podcast. Enjoy talking about Graham Fisher. See you guys next week. We got the women's race to talk about. 
Elliot Kipchoge, Galen Rupp. We can't talk about Grand Fisher all day. Quickly, let's go to the women's race because watching this, this is sort of, I don't know, mesmerizing is the right word, but Elise Cranny, she put on an exhibition for about, what, 8,400 meters? They had the wave light pacing lights. She was following them for a little while, got bored, started crushing the pacing light. And I'm like, wow, she might break 30 minutes. I thought if she kicked, she could break 30 minutes. And then, well, if there's beauty in the pacing light, there's also horror in the pacing light. Eventually, the pacing light comes by and passes her. And then with a lap to go, she's way behind the pacing light. I'm like, there's no chance. You see this light way ahead of her. And she starts kicking, kicking. She catches the pacing light. I'm all very excited. Kicks past the pacing light. Shalene Flanagan's very excited to see her celebrating. Oops. <laughs> she beats the pacing light, but comes up short of the American record. The pacing light was set for 30-16, which everyone had been announced to the field. And the American record was 30-13, and Cranny runs 30-14. Amazing run, number two time ever for an American. In some ways, actually, thank God there's the lights. There was no rabbits after about, what, 3K? Without the, ra- without the lights, you'd be kind of bored, to be honest, I think. I, I just sort of watch the lights and see if she's ahead of them. Right, but she was ahead of them for most of it. That's what That was the amazing thing, is she was locked into 71-72s. It was really, really impressive solo running after coming through in 15-0... I think they were ahead at halfway, right? Wasn't she 15-04 at halfway? And it was supposed to be 15-08. So it was really terrific running by Elise Cranny. But this the pacing lights thing, look, just to be clear, Jesse Williams, the meet director, he did not make a mistake here. It's not like, oh my God, they said it for the long time. How can they screw this up? The problem is, like, this was not conveyed to the viewing public. Or apparently to, you know, he said all the athletes were aware, but Shalane Flanagan seemed to forget, and she was one of the people, like Jerry Schumacher requested that it be set at 3.30.16. And then Elise Craney herself told our Carl Winter in an interview, she was kind of confused what was going on the second half of the race. She was told by Jerry to run 30, to go through in 15.08 and then to kick and close it down the second half. And either she forgot that it was going to stay on pace or... She thought it was going to pick up the second half to take her to 30-13, and it didn't. Which, that is the confusing thing to me, is if you're just going to say kick the last lap, they have the ability to change the pace on the last lap here and just take her through 30-16 pace and then have it notched down to a 67 for the last lap. They could have done that, and that's not what happened here. So I think that's why I want some of the confusion. Also, you need to tell the broadcasters this is the pace they're going to be hitting. And so then they can tell the fans, look, it's 30-16 pace. If she beats the lights, it doesn't mean she gets the record. A lot of this confusion could have been avoided, but this wasn't like some malfunction or Jesse Williams not doing his job. It's just it wasn't sort of conveyed as, as well as it could have been. When fairness to the broadcast, on the last lap, when she, was ahead, when she got ahead of the lights in the final stretch, they were still saying, oh, it's going to be close, where I was like, oh, she's got it. She's ahead of the lights. So they seem to know. But I guess my question is, should she have just stayed with the light? Stayed with the light, stayed with the light the whole way, then kicked the last lap. She would have gotten it. Because I don't think the lights cost her here. She was too far down on the lap to go to get the record. She wasn't going to get the record at that point. She just she, she had to go too fast. 
I don't think she, it's like she held something in reserve here because she was ahead of the light. She was going all out at the end. She just had too much ground to make up. But right. should she have just stayed with the light for till 800 to go, then start kicking and get the record? She fly a little close to the sun. I don't know. She looked really good. I thought, you know, she got to 72, 70, 6,800 meters. And I was like, oh my God, she looks amazing. She just looks like a machine. And then she started falling off like half a second per lap. But I don't know. It's not like she was way ahead of the pacing lights, was she? I Maybe in a fine margin, she missed it by one second. Maybe she should have backed off earlier. I thought she did. It's t- It's really tough to run out on your own, even with the the pacing lights. I'm not really going to criticize her for that. I think she gave a great effort and she just came up one second short. And that's, you know, sometimes that happens. I see what Weldon's saying. Just stay consistent and then slam the last lap. That would have done it. I thought Jen Ryan was doing good on the commentating in the sense of like, even though she started to slip and start running 73, she's like, she's going to be okay because she'll pick it up on the last lap. And she did. She ran a 67. The problem was the, the previous, she went from 73, 73, 73, from 7,600 through 8,400 to 74, 74. Then her pronouncement lap was even worse, 75, 4. So when she got to 800 to go, I'm like, oh, she's going to be in big trouble here. There was a little bit of confusion, but that shows you how the pacing line helps. I mean, there's always confusion in a 10,000. Like when you're in the olden days, you were there kind of trying to figure it out. You you know, and if you're Pascal, I mean, she did have Pascal. You could see Pascal Jobert, the assistant coach, right there every lap. You know, but even if he's yelling out 72, there's a big difference between 72 and 72.5, you know, or whatever it is. And it's hard in your head to figure it out. But look, I think it was a good result because. Molly Huddle did it without the super shoes, and she did it in the Olympic final. She deserves to hold the American record. I would even argue that Galen Rupp's 10, 11 seconds, that to me is at least roughly where the shoes are worth, at least. So, I don't know. I'd like to see the American record go when somebody breaks 30 minutes. But uh, there's a simpler solution to this. And I, John, can we do an investigative piece? How much do I have to pay you to get on a plane, fly out there, talk to people? Why didn't they get someone to rabbit the race more than 3,000 meters? Like, the pacing lights are nice, but it's better to have somebody breaking the wind to draft for you. It helps to have someone in front of you, whether there's no wind or not. It creates a suction for you, like in a cycling race. So, I mean, there was an obvious person that should have rabbited this race, and I still don't know why I heard an explanation. You guys know who that person is? Yeah, you mentioned the week that was, Courtney Frerichs. I mean... Yes, she was a good candidate to do it, but like, why can't, why didn't anyone rabbit this thing, Robert? It's like, women who can just run a 1508 from the front of the race, they're not just floating around. There aren't very many of them. Bauman got very lucky that they had an all in in the men's race, they got, had an all star cast of paces. And then Woody Kincaid, for some reason, decided to pace instead of race that race. Maybe it was payback because Mo paced him for his 1258 back in 2019. I don't really understand why Courtney Frerichs is running this race because she's a steepler. She's not really going to be running the 10K, but I also don't think you just owe it to someone. Like if she wants to run a 10K, she is her own athlete. She can just choose to run that. I don't think she owes it to anyone to go out there and run 7,000 meters of a race. She's not going to finish. It would be being a good, a great teammate, but you know, they're allowed. She's allowed to pick and choose her own races as well. She's one of the best steeplers in the world. This is probably why I'd never been a great athlete because I think to be a great athlete, you have to be a little bit self-centered. I mean, there's a difference between self-centered and selfish. I had an interesting conversation with a coach about that, but I would have definitely rabbited this race. Hell, I would have paid her. 
I mean, Woody Kincaid right now. What, 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 John? What do you think the American record bonus is worth? Is it twenty five thousand dollars a year? Fifty? For an event like that, I would, I would guess, but I, I really don't have an idea. So it's twenty five, and it, and it, and it, and it goes through his contract through the next Olympics. So he's going to make at least a hundred thousand dollars extra because of that race. I think Woody Kincaid deserves at a minimum twenty five thousand dollars for that, maybe more. So. Robert, they had lights they could run next to. They crushed the record. Like, come on. They were going to get this without Woody Kincaid, I feel like. Well, I'm just saying, they should have. If I was them, I, I still don't understand why Courtney Fireworks reads it needs a 10,000 qualifier. She, well, it's, is she going to double? Wait, is it 10,000 after the stable? Uh, I'd have to look at the schedule. If she doubles, all is forgiven. Robert, why does Courtney Furyk need to run a ten thousand at Worlds? It's not forgiven. There's no point for her to run a ten thousand at Worlds. She's a non-factor, non-factor in that event. She got destroyed in this. She's not a she's not a world-class ten thousand meter runner in the sense of like being a global medalist contender. It's so. also not possible that w- the steeple heats are on the same morning as the women's ten k final, which is being run at twelve twenty p.m. Again, middle of the day. Not a fan, but. Yeah, she's not doubling at Worlds. That's not happening. I mean, is it crazy for me to ask why Woody Kincaid paced this race? I think he was being a great why? teammate. To, no, look, total obviously respect why, him. It, obviously why. He was in good shape, but he knew he wasn't in American record shape, so why not do something for something besides yourself? The problem with both modern society and track and field is people are obsessed only with within their personal self-interest. All these damn people, oh, we don't need the government. You know, free market. Okay, who's going to build your damn road? Like, we got to do stuff just not about me. There's a we involved in this world. So, I don't know. I mean, people used to say, maybe it's different being a twin. People used to say, oh, are you jealous of your brother? No. I mean, to be honest, I felt like it was me when he was doing it. I would do anything to help Weldon. I mean, I, I flew to Flagstaff and tried to help pace him. Like, I wanted him to make the fucking Olympic team. I would want my teammate to set the American record. All right, dropping the F-bomb. This this is no this is not in any way meant as a criticism of Woody. I'm just curious because he was criticism. in the I said it is not meant as a criticism. Please listen to me without interrupting, Robert. I'm just going to state these following facts. He ran 13:05 at BU, closing in 26 seconds in the B heat, which I thought was curious because he's the US 10K champion, he's running the B heat. And then again, he looked very good running 7400 meters of this race. He is the he beat Fisher at the trials last year, I was just like, hmm, it's curious that he's rabbiting and he was in the B heat instead of being in A heat and racing. But maybe it's like you said, Robert, that he knows he's not quite at Fisher's level at this point in the season and he felt it would be a good teammate. I think what he did was honorable. I'm not criticizing. I'm just curious as a journalist. I'm curious in nature of it. He deserves major praise. They should put a statue of him on the Bowman training grounds. <laughs> to me, I mean, he's 10 seconds back in the 5,000. Multiply it. He knows what's happening. I didn't think he looked good at all. I mean, halfway through this race, I'm like, he better be rabbiting. He looks terrible to me. He looked, he was really straining. I mean, compared to those guys, he looked out of shape. He's doing, It's harder from the front mentally, I know. But anyways, congrats to Woody. Grant, and I really hope that Grant and, and Mo, if, if they're making multiple... If they're making, what does an agent get? 15%? Yeah. He deserves at least that. Well, I'll just, I will say this. This was, he kind of owed Mo, though, because Mo 
rabbited 4,600 meters of Woody's 1258 okay. in 2019. Fair enough, so, then. He doesn't know them anything. If I'm Fisher, I'm going to throw him the 25 large. Wow, Robert, so generous. All right. Anything else to say about this race? I mean, we did have Canadian record by Mohamed, 2634. So it was impressive for him. Jack Rayner, Australian record. But the big news, I think, was what we saw up front. Again, thank you, Fisher, for winning. Because if Med had won people and we spent all the time on Fisher, people would say like, oh, you're being racist. Or, oh, you don't like Canadians. So it was just easier this way, more clean for us. I don't think people would be racist. People would be like, we're a podcast based in the United States. We talk primarily, we talk about everyone, but we talk about American athletes because America is the majority of our audience. So I don't think people would be racist if we're talking about Fisher more than Mo when Fisher was born in Canada, but represents America. The Australian record, what, 42 seconds lower than the American record now? I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? You set an Australian record and you get completely smoked. Is there any point to talk about some of the other people in these fields? Well, yes. all right. One of the things that did I did think was interesting was Sean McGordy, this guy, he, ran, he took up the steeple last year after never running one. Now he's riding the 10K after never running one, and he gets fourth in 27-18. I thought that was a big deal because he was well ahead of Shadrach, Kipchirchir, and Connor Mance, who both of them also got the world championship standard, but McGordy ran 27-18, Kipchirchir 27-24, Mance 27-25. If you're Sean McGordy, I mean, he he ran pretty well in the steeple, but he didn't get it done at the trials. Then he had he had surgery after the, tri- after the trial, so it didn't sound like he was totally healthy there. And then he comes back. This was a very good sign for me, and I think if you're him, you run the 10K trials at the pre-classic and maybe Bowman goes one, two, three. I think with Fisher and Kincaid, Joe Klecko has been injured. You could very easily see it's very possible to see a Bowman one, two, three. And for him, that might be his best shot at making the team. So I think Sean McGordy could be a 10 K guy now. Well, the schedule change is perfect for him. I mean, he's a huge beneficiary of that because he doesn't really have to decide. So that was the name that sort of jumped out to me on the men's side. Evan Jager also, he dropped out. He said that he fell during the race and kind of, he was already starting to feel like he was hurting. But, you know, we kind of figured he would focus on the steeple this year anyway. The other thing to me is people who didn't get the standard. So just, when did the window open? Like does last year's, I guess last year's time must count. Otherwise, Kincaid wouldn't have done it. Yeah, it opened last year. But... Lopez Long doesn't have it. Pat Tiernan doesn't have it. Well, he didn't get it here. He might have had it last year. Robert Brandt. I actually posted this in the message board before the race. I was like, interested to see what Robert Brandt could do. He ran a 355 mile like two weeks before that. I'm just going to see what he can do. On the women's side, standard was 31. Is it 25 even, John? Yeah. Big news there, Who again, of who didn't make it. Edna Kurgot just missed it, 31-32. Stephanie Bruce missed it. Vanessa Frazier didn't get it. Laura Thweet didn't get it. Emma Bates didn't get it. So those are some some kind of big names. Who did get it from America? Natasha Rogers, Millie Palladino, Sarah Lancaster, Paige Stoner, Courtney Fryerix, and Emily Lapari. 
And shout out to Dominique Scott, a third who was second. She basically ran the whole thing. She went with with Elise Cranny through the first 3K and then fell off. And she basically ran the whole thing by herself as well. 31 flat, personal best. She's not American. She's from South Africa. But I thought that was a pretty gutty run by her as well. All right. Tokyo Marathon. Wait, 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 wait. We got to give some props to this Sarah Lancaster. You guys know who she is? This is one of the best stories in the sport right now. She, so she's born December of 87. I'm just looking at the, I'm doing the math in my head. So she's 34 years old. I think she ran, she competed in, uh, am I getting the backstory right? Weldon, that she competed in three sports at Texas, the University of Texas, and none of them were track and field. Is that correct? I think track might count as a third sport. But she was recruited. She went to like a tennis academy, was recruited for tennis, was really good in basketball as well. Does some like trick basketball shots. They send her to the basketball team. They're like, hey, come out and play. Next thing you know, she's on the UT basketball team as well. I mean, she's just a phenomenal athlete. I think she ran like a 58 second 400. I don't know, in college. I don't know if that was on the team or not. But gets out. Full-time law, you know, gets a law degree, is a lawyer, starts running. She got the world standard at 1,500 last year. Everybody's like, oh, wow. Then she runs 15-13 for 5K last year. Oh, wow. Now she's run 31-21 for 10K, and it's a world standard. So not only does she have the world standard in three events, (laughs) she could destroy everyone at basketball and tennis. It's kind of wild. The emerge. It's kind of reminds me of Kira Demando. Like she's suddenly in her mid thirties, is emerging as a world class runner. I feel like we don't see that on the men's side. We don't really see it on the women's side very often either. But I feel like we never see it on the men's side. And the women's. We've now have got two of these women. Obviously, she hasn't reached the heights of Kira Demando, but she's in the conversation for the team now. She's got the world standard. I hadn't thought about her really making the world's team because the U.S. is so good now. But if you're one of the, I mean, how many Americans have the standard? I mean, it's probably not going to happen. Like Cranny, Monson, and if Schweiz is healthy, I think it's case closed. I don't think she's touching any of them. But, you know, Schweiz hasn't raced yet this year. Uh, you never know. I mean, who does she train with and stuff? I mean, it's just. It just shows there's different ways to do this because she's crushing a lot of people whose full-time job is to put on a singlet and run, and it's definitely not her full-time job. Our blue-collar runner of the week. That's we, we need to bring that back, John. Although, can you be a lawyer and be the blue-collar runner of the week? I think you could be a white-collar employee and still be a blue-collar runner. I think that's possible. Well, a lawyer, yes, particularly with lawyers, because they get paid by the hour. So if they don't work, they don't get paid. All right. That is a wrap on the 10. We spent about an hour on it, but a lot of stuff happened in it. Tokyo Marathon. I mean, here's the thing, right? Kipchoge wins, but at this point, is there anything else to say about Kipchoge? Like, I watched him. He runs 202.40, but this is the same race we've been watching for the last five years, and I love it every time because... He just looks so poised. His form is so beautiful. And eventually, at some point in the final 10 miles, he will break everyone and run away from them. And 
conditions were really good for marathoning. You know, it was I think it was the high 40s. A little worried about the wind, but there wasn't a lot of wind. They go out in 6103, I think. And he's got a pack of about four guys with them. And then one by one, they're just fading. Kip, Amos Kiproto is the last guy with them. Kipchoge dispatches him. And then you're just like, this is another Kipchoge masterpiece. It's the same race we've seen. I don't know if I have anything to comment on it. It's just, I enjoy watching it. You know, this is the a true master at work. John, there's plenty to say about it. I, I was so in love with his performance. Maybe it was because it was at night and I was wide awake, unlike these morning races where I have to get up and watch him run in Europe. I mean, right? He's normally running London or Berlin, right? I mean, normally it's some obscure time that I'm, I, generally, honestly, I'm waking up at halfway to watch him race. So I'm watching this and we're around the 15 mile mark. I haven't watched the whole thing, but I was just, I just, I literally stared at the screen for about 30 seconds. I'm like, God, he looks like a beast. And I was going to text you guys, but this is often the case in these races. I'm like, I don't want to jinx him. Like, there's still a pack of guys with him. He could lose, but he just looked better than everybody else. And then my son had to go to bed. I come back later and he's pulled ahead. But even at 35K, like, what was his gap there? 10 seconds, something like that? 35K, Robert, he is actually still tied for the lead. Remus Capruto is still with him. Yeah, so this, that's what happens in all these races. Like, there's 10 guys, and then there's like two. And so many times we forget there's somebody normally there, right? 35K. And then he just pulls ahead. And But we saw it in with the Leeds Crannies race. Like, you can lose your form and end up not doing what we think you're going to do. And he never does, except for that one time in London. So, just masterclass. Now, John says there's nothing else for him to do except complete all six majors. And, you know, I'd like to see Elliot run in America more often, so I have come up something for something that he, he needs to do. We need all six majors plus the Olympics to be won in course record time or Olympic record time. So he now has the London record, the Berlin record, which is also the world record, and the Tokyo record. He obviously does not have New York or Boston because he's never run New York or Boston. But he's going to have to come back to Chicago as well, John, because he did not set the course record there when he won it. By the way, do you guys realize what the Chicago course record is without super shoes? I believe Dennis Cometo has it at 203.45. Something like that. I mean, those some of those 203 times without super shoes are pretty close to 201, in my opinion. Makes me... Well, I don't want to go there. Don't want to get sued. I don't know if the, the label, label laws are like in Kenya. Yeah, but we, I mean, there isn't much more... I don't know. I feel like every time... Kipchoge's already accomplished probably... You could argue twice as much as any other marathoner in history. Like, I feel like if you split his career in half those two runners would be the two greatest marathoners in the history of the world. But yeah, you know, he's still got those two majors. He hasn't won a hilly course, but you know, does, do we think, I don't think he's, he's the best marathoner we've ever seen by quite some distance in flat races. I'd be shocked if like suddenly a couple of Hills, it's not like he doesn't train on Hills in Kenya. So I think he'll be fine. The question now is, does he, 
what marathon does he do next? Because Boston and New York are the two remaining majors, but I have an inkling he'll try to run the World Championships marathon this year. He's sponsored by Nike. It's in it's in the home, the birthplace of Nike in Eugene. I kind of think he might do that and then do Boston, New York in 2023. That's just a gut. That's not really any inside info. But do they, or do they want Galen to win that one, John? I know. Thank you, Weldon. You think he's going to run Eugene and that'll be it for the year? I mean, he did that last year. The Olympic marathon was on what? August 7th or something? August 8th? I mean, the other thing is like, I, I don't think this is going to happen, but I'd love to just see him run some half marathons. Like, run Eugene and then run the World Half Marathon what? Championships this fall in October. You know? Zero interest. Zero interest in that. He would get. Oh, I would love to see that. What? what do you mean, zero interest? You wouldn't like to see him race Kip Limo and Joshua guy and Jeffrey Camor in a half marathon? That would be I would awesome. have massive interest in that. That would be unbelievable to me. I think he would get... I would like to say I think he's going to get stomped, but how could Kipchoge get stomped in a half marathon? When's the last time he raced a half marathon? I, feel I like think he, he ran stopped. one. That's why he hasn't been racing them. I, I think he ran it in 2016 in New Delhi was this last one. But, yeah. Like, can you imagine the hype around that shit? People would go nuts for it. I mean, I hadn't really thought about the world, Sean, until you threw it out there. I think it is a possibility. But, no, time is of the essence. If he doesn't win New York this year, you think we're going to... I mean, I guess I've been saying this for three or four years. Like, this is it. He's going to run out of time. I feel like he's got to do New York this year, Boston in the spring. That's it. His window's up. His window's up. But I say that all the time. (laughs) And that's what I get from watching him. Every time you watch him, it's just beautiful. God bless this guy with talent. He was put on this earth to run. He is so efficient. That's what you see. It looks effortless. I mean, he he came through 15K in 43.16. Somebody pointed out in the forums, Galen Rupp raced all out at the U.S. 15K, 43.31. He would have been, I think, like second or third place in the U.S. 15K championships. And he runs, what, another 17 miles? It's just crazy. He's so efficient from the marathon. And John, I guess that is the question. Do a few hills throw off that stride? I don't know. We don't know. We've never seen it. So now, John, I mean, now that you could tarnish his legacy, if he goes to New York and gets beat, then people say, oh, he was a one-trick pony. Couldn't do the hills. Couldn't do the hills. Couldn't do Boston. Yeah. I think the issue is, though, like, it depends. If he goes to those races and gets beaten and then starts going back to London and Berlin and starts winning again, then you would say, okay, he can't run hills. But it's also possible that his marathon peak, which has lasted longer than any marathoner in history, he suddenly falls off. You know, he's getting starts getting old, and those happen to coincide when he runs the hilly marathon. So, you know, that, I guess we'll have to sort of wait to get the data to analyze it, but it might just be, oh, he finally, his body catches up to him and not the hills, what did it, man? I don't think you say he's a one-trick pony. I think you'd say, this is even disrespectful to him. He's more like Pete Sampras. Just, Clay's his kryptonite, hills are his kryptonite, but I think in his prime, 
Well, shit. Why isn't he in his prime now? He's just destroying everybody. I mean, he just won the Olympics by like what two minutes or something. I don't think the hills would bother him. You guys realize? I mean, I just went back to Tillis Jopcha and just went back to as far as it would go. I mean, he's almost been as long as around as running since you know Let's Run was invented. Like he was fourth in World Cross in twenty two thousand four and fifth in two thousand five. So. Robert, he was a world champion on the track in 2003. Galen Rupp was about to start his senior year of high school, and Elliot Kipchoge was the world champion in the 5,000 meters, beating Kenny Sabakele and Hikamel Garouge. And now he's still at the very top of the sport. It's just insane. So Kipchoge's the GOAT, but we have an interesting debate on the women's side. Bridget Coast guy, the world record holder, I mean, Coming off of a quote-unquote bad year, John, from 2021. What did she do that was so bad in 2021? She got... She was second at the Olympics, and she was fourth in London in 218, eight weeks later. You know, the, the, it's a down year because she had just been blowing everyone away the previous two years and not losing marathons and just running ridiculous times. But yeah, she's still, by anyone else's standard, she still had a good year in 2021. Well, she returned to her old form by running 2.16.02. What, what, that's the third fastest time ever? Yep. First ever 2.16 marathon by a woman. We've seen 2.14 and 2.15, but never 2.16. And apparently expressed some dissatisfaction afterwards, saying she could run 2.14. Not sure why she said that, because she negative splitted this race. So if you want to run 2.14, don't you need to go out a little bit harder? But she looks like the Bridget Coast guy of old. Five women break 220. None of them named Sarah Hall. I got to give props to Sarah Hall. I don't think this is giving enough publicity. Like, she went for it for, what, 25K? And then blew up kind of hard, but ends up running 222. So. Oh, she definitely deserves props. She came through in 69-29, and that's on pace for 219 flat. They were actually even faster than that earlier and they kept getting slower and slower and then closed her second half in 113.27. So, yeah, but she look, she went out there to take a crack at the American record and she took a crack at it, you know? And we just think a lot of these record attempts, they've been succeeding at a higher rate recently, but they're still tough to do. It's still tough to run 219.12. So, yeah, props to Sarah Hall. She did have a kind of rough final month of her buildup after falling on a run and injuring her knee, but she went for it. She didn't get it, and guess what? She's got another race next weekend in the New York City half, and then she's got the Boston Marathon. So she bounces back quick from things. I was glad she went for it, and she deserves credit for, for taking a big shot. But yeah, Coast Guy, Robert, to return to that discussion... Yeah, one of my questions afterwards is, is she the greatest marathoner, women's marathoner we've ever seen? Because if you look at what she's accomplished, she's got two of the top three times in history. Her world record of 214.04 is 121 ahead of Paula Radcliffe's 215.25. And then no other woman has broken 217. Mary Katani is the next one. She's almost three minutes back at 217.01. And Katani... Did not get to run in the super shoes for most of her career. Paula Radcliffe never got to run in the super shoes. Everyone else right now, though, is racing in super shoes. No one's come close to 216.02 or 214.04. She's won 
Chicago twice, London twice, Tokyo once, Olympic silver. She's run six sub-219 marathons, which is 15% of all the sub-219s ever run. No one else has run more than four. I mean, do you guys think she's the GOAT, or what does she have to do to become the GOAT? John, since my claim to fame is pacing Paula Radcliffe to her first world record, a little bit partial to Paula, but it's just hard to compare the errors because of the shoes. But, I mean, she's building the resume for sure. I mean, she almost ran 213. We say 214. She ran 214.04. I mean, but, you know, Paula did run 215.25 with no super shoes. Uh, it's just crazy. I feel like they, they both do sort of so stand out, and they were so much faster than anyone else of their era at the time. Now, give me, like, another year. I want to see what some of these other women could run in sort of super fast races with these shoes. I don't think we've totally seen that because of COVID and that sort of stuff. And she made this one look easy. She's definitely back to her form. But, John, if you think of it like this, no offense to Kira D'Amato, but if Kira D'Amato is running 219, shouldn't, can Bridget Kosai run 216? I'm surprised we're actually we're not seeing more 216. Or is that a disservice to Kira D'Amato? Well, you're basically saying is, is arguably the greatest marathoner of all time three minutes better in a marathon than Kira D'Amato? No, it doesn't totally shock me. But she's also run, I mean, she's run five minutes better because you go by her world record. No, the, the other thing is the conditions in Tokyo were basically perfect for marathoning. We have to remember that. So, you know, the second place was a Shete Bakari in 217.58. Four women broke 219 here. So if you put in Jocelyn Jepkoskai or Perez Jepchirchir into this race, could they have run 215 or 216? I think there's a pretty decent chance the answer is yes. Look, two things here. One, I'm not even sure. Coast guy very well may be the GOAT right now, but I'm not even sure she's the best marathoner in the world right now. Prejip Chircher, anyone remember her? Here's her last four marathons. Win in Saitama, win in Valencia, win in the Olympics, win in New York. So, two seventeen. I mean, no, she's only run once under 220, but 217. So that'll be interesting. We need to have Jip Chircher race. It's not like Jocelyn Jip Coast guy's chopped liver either with her 217.43 win in London, but I don't put her on the same level. But can, can I keep – this was another thing I had to edit out of John's articles. John kept talking about the perfect conditions? Are you crazy? It's windy as hell, Tokyo. It was not flags. windy as hell. That's not true. Oh, well, I saw the flags blowing pretty damn hard there. It said it was seven miles an hour. What would your app say, Robert? I'll have to go back in time. What time was that race? <laughs> it was at – Nine wasn't it? Nine ten a.m. start. Maybe it was eight ten a.m. Started at U.S. It started at seven ten p.m. U.S. time. And Tokyo is fifteen hours ahead of us right now. So it was a nine ten a.m. local start. But no, the 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 conditions. It was like forties. Was it was sunny? I guess, but it looked they the times were pretty darn fast. Kipchoge ran two o two two o two forty. And Coast Guy ran 216.02. Seemed like a good day for running fast, Robert. John's perfect conditions for a marathon, folks. Let's just hope that John's never coaching you in the marathon. I'm seeing 13 mile an hour wins with gust up to, well, at 10 a.m., 24 miles an hour. 12 p.m., 28 miles an hour. So definitely windy. Maybe that's why Miss Coast Guy was pissed she didn't break 
Run 214. Well, at the end, we definitely talked about it. I thought maybe John's just too busy staring at the stats than actually observing the race. I saw some flags pretty much full mast, just billowing in the wind. I saw the flags blowing, but I was also noted Brett Lana, I think he mentioned that most of the race you had cover from the buildings. Like Tokyo is a huge city. There's a lot of skyscrapers. That last part of the race, you were kind of exposed, but I do think that the wind was blocked a bit by having all these tall buildings on the course. It's, look, I'm just saying the time suggests to me seemed like a pretty good day for marathons when you have the fourth, the fourth fastest men's marathon ever run and the third fastest women's marathon ever run. I guess you could argue they're the greatest marathoners ever. But yeah, no, the, the other thing, Robert, like you said, right now, Paris, look, Paris Jipchirchir deserves to still be the world number one. I know Coast Guy ran 216, but Jipchirchir beat her at the Olympics last year and then she won New York. She's number one and she's running Boston next month. And she's facing Jocelyn Jepkosguy, who I think everyone had as number two last year because she won London and she beat Kosguy convincingly in that race, even though Kosguy was a little tired doubling back from Sapporo. But yeah, I think the winner of Jep Chirchir versus Jep Kosguy in Boston is probably still going to be world number one. And then you know what? Hopefully we get all three of them in London this fall and they can really duke it out. All right, before we transition to the USA 15K championships, I just wanted to say this is one thing left over from our discussion on the 10 that just I have a bee in my bonnet about. USATF the other week announced that they're having the US 10K, 10,000 meter championships will not be part of the regular USA track and field championships. they being held at a standalone meet in Eugene as part of the pre well being held as part of the pre classic on Friday night, which I think is fine. But when they made that announcement, they didn't announce the standards you need to get into the meet. The meet's two months away. And look, if you do some digging around, I'm sure most of the agents and athletes probably have access to this information at this point. By the way, that times are thirty one forty five for the women and twenty seven fifty for the men. Jesse Williams told me that USATF did not respond when I asked them what the standards were. I just think that's a joke. Like you can't say this is the meet. The qualifying window has probably been open for a year at this point and they still haven't announced the standards. I mean, what are you doing USATF? Wait, are those the official standards or is that just the inside baseball? Well, you think the standards are going to, that's be? what Jesse Williams told me. And he said he heard it from USATF. They also announced apparently According to Becca Gillespie Peter, they, they announced this at the annual meeting. They say, hey, here are the standards we're going to have. But they also said at the annual meeting that they were going to be having this race at Mount Sac. And they changed it sometime between then and now. It changed the pre-classic. So it's just inexcusable. Like you need to, if you're having this, it's a USA championship meet. This, the wind, qualifying window has been open. We don't know how long it's been open but it must have been open for quite some time because it's a 10K. You need to announce the times. It's just ridiculous that this isn't public information at this point. So it's going to be held at the pre-classic. Is that the same weekend as before? Yeah, Memorial Memorial Day weekend. So it's always been the same weekend. At least that's good. But... Oh, well, like, was it... Oh, I think there wasn't the same weekend as the Mount Sac one. I thought the Mount Sac one might have been the week before. 
Um, I think it might have been May twentieth, May twentieth instead of twenty seventh. I mean, that's sort of interesting, right? Because some people might think when it's at Mount Sac. I mean, Eugene's got pretty good weather this time of year, but thinking it's going to oh. be perfect conditions, I can get my world standard there. Eugene, just like get get on board, people. I don't. No, no. I'm for having it at the pre-classic because I think the bigger the audience, the better. But put some standards out there. Say, hey, here's the absolute standard. Here's the automatic standard. We're going to fill the fields 24 deep or whatever it's going to be. The lack of professionalism. Like, how can they not respond to Jonathan Galt? I, I want to put a list of all the times USATF doesn't respond to Jonathan Galt, and a list of any time we write an agent or a coach or an athlete and they respond to comment. Just it's public record on this date. It's just an ongoing like Google Doc. On this date, I asked this person to speak. They didn't. We need to start exposing these people. Anyways, I just thought about this because, well, first of all, is Grant Fisher going to skip the USA Ten so he can run pre classic? No, Pre's fine with this. He's coming to that meet and running on that track in the Bowman singlet. He'll probably win a national title there. I know, but do, are we fine with this? With it was going to be at Mount Sac, and guess why it's not? It's because Nike flexed their muscle. The, the runners are under contract. They must run the Nike Pre Classic. So if they're running some other meet, it's going to cause problems with Nike. Blah blah blah. I get that Nike's single handedly footing the bill at USATF, so it makes sense that you would cater to your number one sponsor and put it at their meet. I get it, but they didn't announce it. I mean, this is clearly a Nike inside job, right? Well, that's speculation, but that the way you line it up, that Nike athletes have a contract clause that they have to run the pre-classic, and they 10K guys also want to run the 10K championships if they're a week before, doubling back. I mean, maybe he could run like the B-miles there or something at pre and still fulfill his obligation, but this makes it nice and neater. I don't know. I, I don't know the inside facts on that. So that's just a conspiracy theory by Rojo. But not without merit. It's possible that's the answer. Or maybe USATF, maybe Mount Sachs still pissed at USATF for yanking the trials away from them last year. Uh, who knows? I'm not sure. I mean, how much track fatigues are going to be at Eugene by next year? This, we've got the USATF 10K champs as part of the pre-classic. We've got the NCAA championships, we've got the U.S. championships, and we've got the world championships all in Eugene this year. So maybe I should just move to Eugene for two months. Feels like every meet's going to be there. No NCAAs? No, I said NCAAs. They're going to be there as well. And then 2023, you've got no NCAAs. We don't know where USAs will be. So maybe there's... And then the pre-classic, I think, is actually going to be shifted. That will be the Diamond League final in 2023. So it's going to be the end of the season. But... It's possible. We already know NCAAs are in Texas in 2023. And I'm not sure where USAs are yet. Now, Diamond League final will be great. Then you have the best in the world. One day, people can go out and make an event. But, well, maybe we should just, maybe we should like buy a place. We stay there and then we Airbnb it the rest of the time. Real estate investors, please contact me. Thank you. Let's run. We're sitting on some cash. Got to park it somewhere. I've been getting an investment advice. Well, the problem is we would be using it in the weekends where it's most profitable to have it as an Airbnb. Like, I guess they have football game weekends and stuff too. But like the most profitable Airbnb weekend in the history of Eugene, Oregon is probably going to be the world championships 
next year because there are all these people coming from around the world and there aren't enough hotel rooms. So I read, I just read in the Oregonian, apparently there's only 5,600 total hotel rooms in Lane County and they're expecting 20,000 people a day for the trial for the world championships for 10 days. So that's going to be kind of interesting. I know my parents are going for a few days and they're staying like an hour outside of the city. What a shit show. I may skip it, John. If I could, I would never set foot in Eugene, Oregon again. John, I still haven't applied for my credential. Weldon keeps texting me and saying he's going to give it away if I don't apply. Maybe I've already missed the deadline. I like to wait for the deadline to pass and then to see if I can flex my muscle and still get at the credential. But can I sit? Can I rent your room? I mean, your parents seem like nice people. I've never met them, but your dad can sleep in my room, John. I'll sit this one out. They're perfectly he... fine staying outside the city. But wait, did, Robert, you just said something about you would never step foot in Eugene again? You're tired of going there? Do you have something against the city of Eugene? I quite enjoy going there. But Johnny threw out this hyperbole on the Friday 15. I swear I got off on last week's Friday 15 and heard him say it. And I immediately texted him and said, if you're not coming to Worlds, I need to know. We need a third person there. At least try to get a credential. It's so hard to get. I love, I love Tracktown Pizza and the Wild Duck. Priest Trail is pretty nice. The stadium's beautiful, man. I haven't seen the stadium. But I'm just, the idea that we're going to have every meet in the hardest place to get to in America, it, it's, it's very hard to get out there. I used I had a kid on the team, Joe Walsh, I love you, making millions now in San Francisco real estate. Well, I don't know if that's true, but he's working in San Francisco real estate. And when he would fly back east to come to Cornell, and Ithaca is not exactly the easiest city in the East Coast to get to either. He'd say, Coach, I can't run on Thursday. One day he told me this. I'm like, Joe, you're being lazy? What do you mean? Everybody can run. He's like, no, I'm traveling. And then I looked at his itinerary. It was like almost impossible to get in a run if you're flying from the West Coast to the East Coast on the same day. Okay, look, people, look, is Eugene the easiest city to get to? No, but come on. You get a flight to Seattle and you get a connection to Eugene. It's not that I've made that trip many times. It's not all that stressful, Robert. It's like I could have to connect to fly to a lot of places. I'm going to have to connect to fly to NCAAs this weekend. Like, one, I can handle a connecting flight and then Seattle to Eugene. Folks, if you're looking for a meet to go to and it's easy to get to and cheap to get to, you need to get on the train. Get on Google Flights or whatever you use. Book your, your ticket right now to Belgrade. I'm a late ad for the world indoors. Last week, the ticket was $550. It probably cost me more to fly to Eugene than that. With gas prices going up, that was amazing. Now, I couldn't actually, uh, I waited a day, you went up to $750, but you can get an Airbnb. I mean, the, the John Victor, our Airbnb host, has written back, this place is, this place is out of this world. Folks, we're going to be making Instagram videos on this thing. Well, John, I have a, John, you've seen it, right? Foosball table. Totally modern. How many beds do we have? We have four beds and only two people. So if somebody wants to crash there, should we let them do it, John? Unreal. Wow. I think they need to have a – I think the rule is we're not supposed to be interacting with anyone who's not, like, credentialed at the world championships. I think there's some rule they're doing, like, a quasi-bubble. Wait, did you did you get your credential, Robert? This has been – you have not confirmed yet to me that you actually got the credential. Have you been successful? I have received it confirmation got a little bit worried last friday i texted i had OF press person she immediately texted back it was like 8 p.m in monaco so i haven't gotten i i had officially been they received my application but they hadn't approved it she's like well our, my colleagues are at the race walking championships the race walking championships apparently were a great success they've now had time to approve me 
Yeah, sorry, we won't be talking about the World Race Walking Team Championships that took place in Oman last week. I think that didn't make the cut for our show. We had world record in the pole vault, American record in the pole vault. I just want to throw it out there so we, I can say in the future that we discuss these things. Mondo Duplantis, Chris Nelson, respectively. Yeah, Mondo cleared 619, which had been going after for a while. But at what point do we stop like making a big deal about the Mondo world records? Because... He raises it like one set. Like, let's be real. This isn't going to be the last time he breaks the world record, right? He's going to get into the 620s. Like, he might lower it in Belgrade, though I think it will be tougher. He said it's a good runway, but the problem is in a championship meet, especially when you've got another guy in great form like in Chris Nilsson, you take, you're probably taking more jumps or, you know, you can't just sort of... He, in Belgrade, when he broke the world record this week, he entered the competition, I think, before at the point where everyone else had exited it. So he could basically choose how many jumps he wanted to take and that sort of thing. In a championship, you're focused on the win. And if you're going for the world record, it's at the end of like already a, what could be a tough competition. I think it's harder to do it in a world championship setting, but that should be a good event. Remember, also remember Chris Nilsson, he upset Mondo at NCAAs the one year that Mondo was in the NCAA in 2019. Nilsson was the NCAA champion outdoors that year. Mondo was second. So Mondo will be the favorite, but I'm not saying it's a slam dunk. Folks, when are we going to stop celebrating the fact that Grant Fisher runs an American record? Or Ellie Kipchoge wins another world marathon major? That's how you sound, John. We're always going to celebrate it. <laughs> I mean, he, but it's the pole vault. It's like the pole vault, you can break it by a centimeter every time. Like, Grant Fisher can't just go out and say, all right, I'm going to run 26.32 next week. You know? I, I'm not saying it was easy for him to do. He had to take 54 jumps, I saw, across all the competitions he's done. He took 54 attempts at 6.19 before he cleared it. It's an incredible accomplishment. It was great to watch. But, you know, if he breaks the world record two or three times a year, I don't know if people are going to be going as crazy for it as when, you know, someone like Ingebrigtsen breaks a world record that stood for over 20 years. Well, that's interesting. So since his last world record, he had attempted this height 54 times and never gotten it. Yeah. So he may not, he may not go any higher, John. At some point he's going to reach his peak. Okay. Well, he's 22 years old right now. I don't think he's hit his peak yet. I'm, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get to Belgrade. I'm going to be interviewing pole vaulters. Do you guys realize there's a... Uh, if I ask, it's going to give away who it is. There's a pole vaulter from a very obscure country. He's uh, currently ranked fourth in the world. Is it Obiena from the Philippines? Oh my God. John is amazing. Ernest John Wee Obiena. You've heard of him? Oh, th well, this makes me feel good because I was debating. I'm like, wait, is his name Ernest Obiano or John Obiano? I didn't know which one. And now you're telling me it's Ernest John. So that makes me actually feel good. That's why I only said Obiano, his last name. Robbie, he's been on the scene for a while. That like, you know, I know the Philippines, it's rare to have a Filipino pole vaulter, but he's been doing well. I thought, Robert, you're a man of controversy. I assumed you'd just be going to Belgrade and be trying to talk to all the Ukrainian athletes because they're sending a team. Wait, what? Yeah. How are they going to send a team? I assume they'll go on a plane and leave, or they, maybe they were training overseas already. I mean, I know it's not the easiest thing to get out of Ukraine right now, but... So it'll be well, a women's yeah. team, first of all, right? 
I didn't look and see if there are any men. Yeah, the the men, you're not allowed to leave the country, right? You have to stay and fight. So I know there will be women athletes. Yeah, I, I guess I said controversy. Like, it's not a controversy. Russia in, invaded Ukraine. Like, obviously, their lives are very difficult right now. But I find it, it that is a storyline worth monitoring is you will have athletes representing Ukraine. I'm sure they'll be very well. I was going to say I'm sure they would be very well supported. But Serbia, I think somewhat sympathetic to Russia's cause. So maybe it'll be interesting to see the reception they receive. I don't really think most people are sympathetic to Russia's cause, but maybe I'm wrong, John. And I was looking at the podcast stats. Any podcast listeners in Ukraine? I know we have some. Our thoughts are with you guys. Um, even with the website, at one point, we're, we we're going to change the colors to blue and yellow. We never usually do stuff like that. We haven't done it, but the Ukrainian emails me and says, yes, I want it. We'll do it. But otherwise, I'm like, what's the point? It doesn't do anything. Well, we just let these people get slaughtered. Just more like, I don't know. You could say it's symbolic and inspiring, or you could say it's a shallow gesture. But our thoughts with everyone in Ukraine, that is cool. If It'll be great, I think, that the women are, are going to be there and competing and hopefully give hope for the rest of the world and call out what's going on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that the fellow athletes will give them a great reception. I hope the fans do as well. And yeah, obviously any, anyone, if we do have Ukrainian listeners out there where we hope you're safe and that this, what's going on right now can end soon because it's, it's, it's sad and tragic. Did you guys see the gymnastics guys? You're going to have to be more specific. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think it was like the world championships, but there was some like gymnastics competition. You were competing by countries. And by chance, a Ukrainian male wins it. A Russian guy gets second. And the Russian guy gets up there on the medal stand and he's got the little V, which is like the Russian symbol to support the war. Stood on the stand next to the guy. The guy was already ignoring him, but I could almost see somebody who... Surprised they didn't come to blows. Um, the gymnastics federation then, I think, banned Russians the next day. So there will be no Russian athletes at the world championships. All right. One other thing I wanted to talk about before we finish the podcast is the US 15K champs in Jacksonville. We mentioned in the intro Emily Sisson won in dominant fashion, 47 28. That's number three all time at that distance in the U.S. behind only Shalane Flanagan and Dina Casta. Pretty good company. She was almost two minutes ahead of Emily Durgan. It was an all-Emily podium. Sisson, Durgan, Infeld was third. I thought it was a very good run for Emily Sisson. When she's in shape, we know she can, we can, produce, she can, can produce big dominant performances like this. We saw it at the Olympic trials last year. We've seen it when she came close to scouring the U.S. record in the half marathon a few times. What I found interesting, though, was after the race, she said she's skipping the track this year. She's just going to be focused on the roads. And initially, I was like, what's weird? She was so dominant. She won the trials by so much last year in the 10K. She had a knee injury ahead of Tokyo. She wasn't 100% going in, but she was still 10th. And I looked at some of the people who won't be running, like Helen O'Beary, who beat her in Tokyo. She's going to go to the roads as well. But there are a lot there. She was 10th and... Savannah San, we don't know if she'll run the 10K or not. 
and Eugene. Calcadon Gezahegne was the silver medalist. Gide was third. Well, no, she'll run it. Francine Nianzaba was fifth. I mean, I ex- the rules don't look like they're changing, so she's going to be in there. I don't think Sissom really has a shot to medal at the World Championships, and now with the emergence of Elise Cranny, she may not even be the best American 10K runner. So I get it, but like, what do you make of her decision to just run the roads uh, in 2022? Does that mean marathon? Sorry, John, I wasn't listening to every word. I was actually reading about Serbia and Ukraine. They are split because NATO, they got bombed by NATO in 99. It's disturbing to me. I am obsessed with Ukraine. But she's going to be running the marathon? Good. I hope she's not going to waste her time on the track anymore. Why would she? She's, well, because she won the U.S. title last year by a lot. But she said, I don't know if she says marathon specifically. I'm sure it will include a full marathon. Spring, maybe she'll go for a fast half or something. I, I don't know exactly her specific plans. Why isn't she running Boston? I don't know, Robert. I didn't get the t- chance to talk to her. Well, I'm glad. Ray Tracy told me she'd be a great marathoner. I'm still waiting for her to, to, to arrive to that thing. I think she has the potential to be the American record holder in the event. And... I don't see the point of running the 10,000 getting slaughtered at Worlds in it. Wait, I just love that once again, this is the rule. Anytime we mention Emily Sisson, Robert has to bring up the conversation he had with Ray Tracy, the 2015 Boston Marathon, saying she'd be a good marathoner one day. Like, do you say this with other coaches when you talk to their athletes? Like, this athlete will be a good 5K runner one day. You don't bring it up with them, but you always bring it up with Sisson. I don't think I've ever had another coach go out of their way to tell me that their athlete that is going to be a star at another event that they don't currently do. I mean, if if I'm talking to Mondo Duplantis's coach and he, is that his mother? She tells me he's going to run, be a great triple jumper. I'd be very impressed. Okay, fair enough. His mom and dad coach him for the record. Any thoughts on that women's race, Weldon, or should we talk about the men? Well, Emily Sisson, who will hold the American record in the marathon by the end of the year, is that who we're talking about? There you go. You guys heard it. It's on the record right there. Wait, but I thought the World Championships was everything being the United States that everybody had to run it. So that's interesting. She will just completely skip it. I think she could make the team even focusing on something else. I think that's how good she is at 10K. But if it's not the priority, I'm all for her focusing on the roads. I mean, she destroyed everybody here. And... I mean, what what else more do we want to say? I mean, she she was a she's an A plus. I mean, Emily Enfield obviously has a medal in the ten k in the past. But right now, she's not an A plus American runner. Emily Sisson is so nice run, but not much more. I think needs to be said about it. Well, I guess the one thing you're suggesting that she's either going to run Chicago or Berlin or New York this fall, or Chicago or Berlin or London this fall. I bet she runs New York because that's what she was supposed to run last year. She had to back out due to injury. I assume she'll run that one. She'll probably get a bigger payday as well. So that might, if she does that, she's not going to get the American record in the marathon. Can someone tell me why she'd run New York? Last time I checked, they were complaining about how hilly the Atlanta Olympic trials course was. So she signs up for another heli race. I mean, I get money, but. Well, money, prestige. I mean, she could run well there. Money talks, Robert. Money talks. All right. That was the women's race. Men's race. All right. 
I'm taking the L on this one. I admit it. On a Friday 15, I was like, why are we even previewing the men's race? Galen Rupp, he's in this race. He's going to win. No, he didn't. Galen Rupp ran this race. He got seventh place. The winner was Nico Montañez, BYU alum, who had a nice, quietly had a nice 2021. He was third in the U.S. half champs, third in the U.S. 20K champs. Now he gets his first national title. He beats Leonard Courier and Hilary Bohr by four seconds in 43.10. Galen Rupp back in seventh in 43.31. John doesn't know how to properly introduce Montañez. He's a member of the Mammoth Track Club, coached by Andrew and Dina Castor. Dina, of course, the former American record holder marathon and friend of Let's Run. Always, If we did a live broadcast right now, Dina would probably agree to show up in five minutes' notice. So I think it was cool, John, that the Mammoth Track Club got the win. I mean, there's a lot of smaller groups that don't have the same talent for him to win this field. is cool. And six guys got a nice scalp. They can always tell their children, I beat Galen Rupp. I think the question is, are you writing Rupp off because of this performance? I am not. Most definitely not. First of all, he led most of this race. Secondly, people who watched it sort of seemed to imply that he got a stitch. So why does he need to be in tip-top shape on March 4th or whatever it was when he's got to be, his, race, his next race of consequence is July? So I think it's good that he's healthy enough to be racing. He's running New York City half in two weeks. I am not worried at all about Galen Rupp. Yeah, I'm not really worried about him. I think maybe he's reaching the point in his career where, you know, he's 35 now. He turns 36 in May. Maybe where if he's not like, he can't just show up and crush everyone, even if he's not, you know, in really good shape. Like, or, you know, if he's in the middle of a marathon buildup. And I feel like that might have been the case in the past. But, you know, remember last year, he only ran 2906 in that road to gold or the peach tree. And then he gets eighth in the Olympic marathon. He ran he ran sixty one fifty two, half last fall at the Great North Run, and then he was second in Chicago in two hundred six thirty five. So do I think a guy who ran two hundred six thirty five in Chicago last fall has suddenly lost it? No, but I don't. You know, can't just show up and wipe the floor with everyone without like being in pretty good shape. I think he'll be in good shape by July, but. Yeah, it's not, you can't just take a rup win for granted in these tune-up races maybe anymore. I'll be interested to see how he does in the New York City half next weekend. Can we give a shout-out to Todd Williams, American record? I think it's now 27 years old for 15K. He ran 42, like, I don't know, 22. I could look it up, but... the crazy You thing nailed is- it. Well done. I'm on the page right now he won this race five times 42 22 in 1995 so you had all the details correct oh uh, was reading a recap of it earlier okay mark coogan and chris fox were with him at the start that is now mark coogan coach of the new balance team and chris fox coach of the reebok boston team speaking of boston John, you need to go out to that New Balance track. I think it's supposed to be done now. They need to organize an event this winter. Do it now. John, you put it on. We'll take a bag of cash there, John. I'll, I will, they're up for this. We need something great. I'll give you a, a bag of cash. You can put on your own event. They're not going to. That would be awesome. The bag, the bag of cash invite, and we hang it. You have a little hook right by the finish line, 
and the first person who crosses the finish line can just snatch the bag and it's theirs, you know, after completing set number of laps. But yeah, that'd be fun. Except I don't know when we're going to do it because I'm traveling to Worlds this weekend and then, sorry, NCAAs this weekend and then Worlds the weekend after that. So going to be kind of busy. I mean, some of these U.S. records, ooh, super shoes, I can't believe they're still there. Because Ryan Hall, when he ran a 59.43, actually suppose he ran one second faster at 15K than Todd Williams' record, but there wasn't an official split there. So, you know, it's like 59 high pace, which still somehow is the American record in the half marathon, yet guys are running 57 minutes. So I think, man... Well, Grant Fisher takes to the half marathon. Kiss that one goodbye. We, we've got some new guys. Connor Mance. Connor Mance, baby. He's the one to break it. Very exciting sort of weekend. And, and I think, although Grant Fisher obviously had an amazing run, the jury's still out on exactly what it means. I mean, there's this thread on Let's Run. It's like, Grant Fisher is going to have the greatest 5,000, 10,000 meter season ever by an American. I don't think we know that yet, but the possibility is there. Excitement is in the air. Spring is in the air. Guys, even though it's snowing outside my house right now, winter is over. The boats are back in the water in Rowayton, Connecticut. I've seen three boats put back in the water. Boston Marathon is five weeks away, John. Sounds about right. April 18th. So. The clocks go forward this weekend. Sun's going to be setting later. I guess the question as we wrap this thing up, the NCAA championships are this weekend in Birmingham. We didn't talk about them at all. Robert and I will be there. Robert and I are going to be road trip buddies the next two weekends. We've got Birmingham and then we've got Belgrade. We're like Bing Crosby and Bob Hope back in the 1940s. But the question I have for you is, should we do a Thursday 15 previewing this meet? Or should we do a Saturday 15 late night? Robert and I, our flight back home, I think Robert's is at 5.40 a.m. on Sunday. Mine's at 6 a.m. And that's going to feel like 4.40 and 5 a.m. because the clocks go forward that night. We may not end up sleeping. Do we just do our Friday 15 as a Saturday 15 with a couple beers in our hand talking about the whole race? The, I mean, the whole weekend. I think so, because we haven't announced, or are we allowed to announce it? I mean, I guess until he comes on the air, but we may have a very special podcast guest tomorrow. So if the Can't Miss Your podcast, hint, hint, comes out tomorrow, we can't do a Thursday 15 as well. We we don't want to overburden our Supporters Club members. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm up. For, I'm just gonna pull. I'm pulling all night to Saturday, and then Sunday I'm gonna sleep most of the day, and probably, hopefully, well, well, then I'll have to get into World Indoor previews the next week. But Robert, are you up for it? A late night Saturday podcast recapping NCAA's? No, I forgot about daylight savings. I was trying to get up. I picked the 5:40 a.m. flight to come back and be a nice father and help my wife. And then she told me, oh, "I'm gonna take Clayton to the in-laws." You can stay there as long as you want. Well, I'd already booked my flight. Now, I'm, can we look for another flight back? I have to pay for the change fees, though. There's no change fees anymore. Thanks. That's one of the great things with COVID. Oh, that's not true. Yes, it is. You get credits these days. 
You guys need to get out more. Get it. I don't know. I was looking into changing my flights. I was only told there there are no change fees if the weather hits. I don't know. Robert, we need to look into that because if there is a way to avoid coming back at what feels like, you know, pulling an all-nighter. I, I don't know. It seems kind of, I do kind of want to do a podcast. It's been a while since I pulled an all-nighter like that. All right, TBD on that. We will have some form of NCAA preview recap. Well, at the very least, we'll have articles for you. I'm still recovering from staying up at till 3.30 a.m. on Sunday night working so hard for letsrun.com. I could barely recover from that. Actually, from bragging about myself. Apparently, people don't like it when I brag. I'll never do it again. Okay. Well, big weekend on track, on tap. Should have a nice podcast, bonus podcast for you guys this week to listen to. Thanks for tuning in. We will talk to you again soon. Remember, you got to be getting your electrolytes without the junk. No sugar hydration. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Link in the show notes. Try it today. Free sample pack sent your way for $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I'll refund your money. Thanks for listening. Do a friend a favor. Tell them about the podcast. Appreciate it.